Hey everybody, welcome back to the Combat Chain. I'm your host, Patrick. I would have been at Worlds if it wasn't for all the games I lost trying to qualify. Shaw. And with me as always is my co-host, Adam. San Jose ain't ready for my stash game. Philip Chuck. Adam, how are we doing today? Hey Pat, we're doing well. We're uh, we're just a couple days out from, from flying out for uh, San Jose. Um, super exciting. Um getting that you know last minute prep ready uh like we talked about on the uh, last episode with matt rogers uh when we uh train or uh went off the rails into like the mental health check-in a little bit um you just acknowledge that like my expectations going into worlds is not a competitive one at this point just since we've acknowledged that we're feeling a lot better going into worlds and uh yeah we're at this point we're we're uh we're looking really looking forward to it excellent excellent i do wish you the best of luck uh over there um in in other news we were moments away from converting to a marvel snap podcast uh i am collection level 400 and something right now it's obscene and uh, my work productivity has dropped uh, precipitously because of that. You were, but, and then work productivity was backed up for a bit until they ban- or they blocked Talishar. Yeah, they, yeah they, they banned Talishar at my work, so I can't use that anymore. And now, now I got phone games. Uh, but uh, we Arachne dropped the assassin. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But hey, I am I'm re re-energized for some flesh and blood. And I think I think we're back, but we are only a few days away from the biggest, the biggest non-online invitational tournament of the year, as the Flesh and Blood World Championships kick off November fourth in San Jose, California. Here to help us get ready for this momentous occasion are two members of the world's casting team. First, a returning guest, when he's not hosting his own podcast, the Instant Speed Podcast, with the ridiculously catchy intro music. You can see, see him casting just about every Flesh and Blood event with a live stream or streaming some games himself. He is a great pillar of the FAB community and an overall great human and a friend of the channel. It is Matt Flake DeMarco. Matt, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you. I do want to I want to shout out to the person who does that music. That person is actually a friend of a friend who goes by their musical moniker, which is Stepper Rhodes. So if ever you want to go get more of that intro music... Uh, that would be Stepper Rhodes, and they're uh, Montreal natives. So good good dude who who allowed me to use their music, and I'm glad I did because that's, uh, that's a banger that's always in my TD rack or tray or I don't know what they're called. It's, a, it's an 06 Corolla, okay? So it, I, I'm happy enough to have a CD in there. But that that is always on every mixtape I make is that song. It definitely it's on my like little YouTube music playlist now. It's on it's It's there. It's, it's a beautiful song. <clears throat> Next, he's so good at Flesh and Blood, they brought him on to make the cards. Also a staple of the cast and crew for major Flesh and Blood events. He can be found on the Arena Deckless podcast talking about Magic the Gathering. He is Brian Gottlieb. Brian, welcome to the Combat Chain. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I don't know if that introduction is accurate. Like, how many people have actually seen me play Flesh and Blood? I might not have any idea what I'm doing whatsoever. 
Like, I, I might just be pulling a complete ruse here. I, I think I'm pretty good at making flesh and blood cards, but maybe I don't even know how to play the game. We'll see. We'll see if I ever have to prove my uh, my skills in the arena, maybe in the next Goliath Gauntlet, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. Ooh. I'm always open to it. Content creators don't <laughs> succeed in the Goliath Gauntlet. That's is what I'm, true. Is what That's I was told true. by everybody who crapped on it early on and said, mm-hmm. "Oh, we did. We crapped on them hard too." <laughs> Not necessarily you. I'm saying that a lot of the criticism that the the tournament got was directed at some of the selections we made, and there they are. <laughs> so suck it, Brian. To your point, we asked DM Armada a few episodes ago, "Who would win in the hypothetical four man tournament between himself, Flake?" Brendan Patrick in you and without missing a beat, he laughed it off and said you without, and it wasn't even close. Uh, and DM Armada is about to win the Goliath gauntlet. So his, he's almost uh, in the argument for best player in the world. So uh, rumor has it, you are the ringer here. I <laughs> look, if that's the way the, the, way the rumor's going, I'm not going <laughs> to stop it. I'm, I'm a big fan of building my narrative you know, setting up all this marketability, enhancing my brand, that's all good. So let that rumor run, but I have no idea where it came from. Can I start a rumor too? Can I do that right now? Let's um, do it. Yeah, Flake has the most handsome uh, dress uh, and, and, and wardrobe out of everybody. That's the rumor that I'm going to start. If we're that's just true. making stuff up at this point, then that's what I want to <laughs> say. Best dressed, always. You definitely say, have yeah. the best chin chin structure. That's, <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right before we get too far uh i do want to talk about arachne the huntsman it was just released it was debuted dm armada again he's all over the place today apparently uh but he had a wonderful video releasing the hero all the cards have have come out and uh, holy crap we've got uh, we got a new hero and a new new everything about it uh how do we feel about the assassin class coming into flesh and blood of brian lean it off uh, obviously, I'm stoked, but I am I am biased as heck. Uh, I was a a big part of bringing this class to life, and uh, it just it is such a good representation of everything I love about Flesh and Blood. And you know, we all love different things about Flesh and Blood, so maybe it it will line up with your sensibilities. Maybe it won't. Both of those results are okay, but I do think there are a bunch of people who feel like I do uh, enjoy kind of the the back and forth. Dare I say, mid range ish type gameplay that arachne lends itself to and if you're in that camp i think you're going to have a blast with this hero it's so much fun to play and particularly spider's bite uh arachne's daggers they're they're such an interesting weapon to use like yes they require a huge investment obviously two costs for one damage not a great exchange rate but they're so strategically important and there's so many ways to play them too you can you know threaten just two attacks from them to always pull a card from your opponent's hand because having those stacked minus ones on their next defending attack action can be so, so devastating. Uh, so you, they almost have to block at that point. And then you just pass your turn if you want to move on and have and take a card out of their hand, set up for the next turn. So there's so, so many ways to threaten with Arachne's daggers. I think that's maybe for me the most fun part of playing that hero. That, that dagger effect is, is compounding, additive. I don't know how you want to say it, but if they throw in... Uh, if if they get the on hit with the with the dagger and they block their the next attack with multiple cards, it's each card gets minus one, right? That is correct. Yeah, and so you know it, if you make a particularly large attack, 
it becomes really challenging to find effective blocks if you're able to put together, you know, you see, you've seen most of the assassin attacks now, you know, they're sizing, they tend to be on the smaller side, four power, five powers, generally where they cap out. But obviously there are attack reactions, of course, the generic ones like razor reflex, we saw the in-class cut to the chase assassin attack reaction so many options to go ahead and make those threats larger and as soon as they get larger they're really tough to deal with if even one spider's bite has hit forget about it if your opponent lets two through your you have a free pass you're able to do whatever you want at that point very true very true flake what do you what do you what's your first impressions on arachne i think that it's a very um engaging uh, type of hero. Uh, I'm I'm very fascinated by what people are going to do with it, and and frankly, I think that uh, the fact that there's like an alternate win condition card with the regicide and things like that in association with Arachne is awesome. I've been always intrigued by games when they introduce alternate win conditions, things that you have to accomplish to just flat out win the game. Ultimately, um, I'm I'm intrigued to see if there's enough for Arachne that it doesn't need to necessarily lean on a lot of the standard procedure kind of cards uh just to pressure the game like e-strikes and cncs and things like that um it's a supplemental set right and again i i can't ask brian <laughs> i i have <laughs> i've asked brian a lot of questions and he's been very steadfast in terms of just kind of stonewalling us in terms uh, in terms of knowing what's down the pipe but it's a supplemental set right so it's got to support a lot of other car a lot of their heroes a lot of their um classes so i don't know if, if Iraqi's going to get enough support to be awesome but from what i've now there's a really good framework for this hero that um I, i'm already dusting off all my razor reflexes i think it's it's one of those kinds of heroes and i'm all for it and i know that i've been ever since they kind of uh, replaced Fi and they they eventually prism hit living legend i've been looking for a new main and i'm gonna give this one a roll for sure excellent excellent Adam, have you gotten a chance to take a look at some of these cards? I, there's a lot of talk in the community. The snap reaction is always, oh, this is pushed, right? Mass, the mask prediction, oh, this is pushed. The legs, oh, this is pushed. Uh, what's, your, what's your read on, on, on what we're seeing here? Yeah, um, yeah. Right off the bat, uh, the the legs and the mask uh, stood out to me right away. Uh, the fact that you can recur them and like it, at this point, there. There's no reason why, as if you can't, if your silver generation, you know, is up there, why can't you keep recurring this over and over again? Uh, and I think that has the potential to be super powerful. You know, that one with battle worn uh, over and over again is going to be very interesting. Um, a couple questions right away that I'm, I'm wondering, like, are we a like i i feel like we're gonna see we we have to see maybe a little more payoffs for silver um so i'm really curious what those are gonna be and uh you know um are we gonna get all the support we need for uh arachne to be relevant in the competitive meta in this set you know is she gonna take a or he she they gonna take um a couple sets to really reach their full potential. You know, Viscerai was uh, the, the um, Viscerai um, of Arcane Rising. You know, uh, uh, Arknight Ascendancy Pummel Viz versus uh, Viz of Everfest were two completely different beasts. So, um, 
I'm excited. I'm excited for Assassin. Some of the art is like phenomenal. That's so uh, good. It's so good. Uh, like that shred. Um, shreds, shreds amazing. Sack the shifty. Uh, cut to the chase is cool. Like the, the some of that macabre art and that like mm-hmm. oh, it's so cool. Um, foils, foils. I want to know if there's going to be one of those like special cold foil editions going on there. Yeah, Brian. Do you know? Do you know? Oh, I know. Is can you say? No, any, no, I cannot. Leave the man alone. Gotta, gotta, gotta <laughs> test the waters. Gotta test the waters. <laughs> You're gonna get him right. in trouble. But yeah, I'm That's excited. Right, get him in trouble. I'm excited for Assassin for sure. Like uh, this is super cool. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Brian, before uh, we've already gone too far, let's re- reel it back. No one escapes the origin story. Matt has already told us his, but uh, give us a little cliff note about who you are and how the hell did you get here? I, I have no idea how to answer this. Like <laughs> 10, 10 to 15 years ago, I made friends with the right people, and that allowed me to do a bunch of stuff in the TCG space. And somehow all of that snowballed into ending up here and involved with flesh and blood. And the real short story of my involvement was I was, uh, I was basically full-time magic gathering content creation. I previously was a lawyer in another life, didn't love it. So shifted over to, to make some content was, was doing the magic thing, doing very well at it. Podcast was very successful. Writing for StarCityGames.com doing coverage of the SCG tour and then the pandemic happened and everything we had going on just kind of went to pieces. SCG tour shut down, uh, you know, the traffic to our website, really magic as a whole did not do a good job transitioning through the pandemic era. And, uh, the website gig I had writing shut down and I basically just tweeted on Twitter. Hey, if anyone, this hiring in this space i'm I'm open to it and then james hopped in my dms and we started talking and just kind of headed off right away and i i went down to well I, at first i did some remote uh what was intended to be development work and very quickly that transitioned into design work and then it all just kind of snowballed for there and the, my first design set was was this set that you're seeing now it went really well and then I've been on for uh, some time now and working on a few things and all these things stored in the bank that you guys are going to see in the future. Went down to New Zealand to do some work with the rest of the team, meet them all. And now I'm just 100 percent all in on flesh and blood. Uh, it, it is my life at this point. I spend all my time thinking about it, all my time talking about it. And they're not uh, talking about it. Don't lie, because we've asked you questions and you just flat out denied us. Man. Well, I just don't tell you what you want to hear, Flake. I, <laughs> I'll talk about other things. I just won't say the things you really want to hear. Sometimes um, I just want to hear that you love me, man. That's all I, I do. Hear. I always love you. I always <laughs> tell you I love you, Flake. You know that. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm so in love with this game. I'm so in love with this community. It has honestly like revitalized me to be part of Flesh and Blood, where I was really sort of hitting the wall with my TCG stuff. And I was wondering if there was even a place for me anymore. You know, I had, I had done magic design work. I had done magic coverage. I had done the writing thing. And I'm like, well, I, I feel like I've sort of done it all and I don't love any of it anymore. And then I found this beautiful game and I, I just can't get enough of flesh and blood in, in all of its forms. I love covering it. I love making flesh and blood cards. I love playing flesh and blood. So I'm, I'm so blessed to have found uh, this game in this community. And it really has done such wonderful things for me. It's something to be said about how this game is 
truly life changing. Uh, I I know I can I can say the same, uh, and it's it's cool to hear uh, other people uh, other people's stories kind of uh, say suggest that. Um, I just out of curiosity, Brian, uh, knowing that LSS is out of based out of um, uh, New Zealand, did you relocate or um, do you work remotely? Like how did how did that transition work? Yeah, mostly work remotely now. Like I said, I've, I've been down to New Zealand before. I spent uh, about a three-week stretch working on some projects. We'll go back soon, uh, for sure. Just kind of waiting for the right time, schedules to line up, and I'll, I'll go back down to do some more work. But essentially, I am mostly remote, pop into the studio when it makes sense to do so. It's now gotten a little easier with a direct flight going from JFK down to Auckland. Last time I went, uh, about... Four 40 plus hours each way worth of flights to, to make my way wow. over. So, oh. Yeah, when you oh. see when you see the LSS team at World, seriously, it's such a labor of love. It's so hard. And, you know, you see James everywhere. Obviously, you see him in Lille and you see him at the Pro Tour and he's just so committed to his game. But it is hard work to do that travel schedule. And, and all those folks who are coming over, uh, you know, give them a nice pat on the back for for making the time and committing to that travel schedule because it is it's tough it's really tough matt the 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 goliath gauntlet has been by all accounts uh, a resounding success uh take a few minutes and and tell us uh about the tournament uh like how it came together um and what has got to be one of the most unpredictable finals like i don't think anybody had this on their their bracket so the Goliath Gauntlet was initially an idea, I, I believe, again, it's all kind of murky because everything's going a mile a minute, especially towards the end of the year. This was actually a, an idea that was kind of conceived back in June, June or July. And unfortunately, the timing was never right because we had Pro Tour. And then it was like, OK, well, everyone's preparing for Pro Tour, then everyone's preparing for Nats and everyone's doing this and doing that. So eventually, we just had to like shove it down people's throats and say, no, you, if you're in, you're in. This is when we're doing it. So we angled it uh between Nats and Worlds. And um, it was an idea, again, conceived by Mitch Leslie, aka Uber, Tan and Grayson, myself. Uh, I think the initial sort of idea was Uber saying, hey, we should do something. Uh, or he, I think he just wanted to get in to content creation within this particular game. And we said, okay, what's a tournament that Brian Gottlieb cannot win? And so we made the Goliath Gauntlet. And uh, they all know I'm the best flesh and blood player in the world. At least that's the rumor out there. So you have to kind of build around that. Correct. And we we chose not to invite him because otherwise it wouldn't be a tournament. It would be the Brian Gottlieb show. And we didn't want to have that. You already have that. You're getting that at Worlds, friends. So he's in the he's where he needs to be, which is designing the cards. And that's a, a good place for Brian to be. Um, and. What we did was we it, the initial plan was legitimately let's just see if we can't get eight people just for you know a, a little production and have a good time just because literally Uber just wanted to cast some matches and that spawned to well why don't we get a bracket of sixteen let's ask around and sort of pull some strings and call in some favors and see who we can't get in and then I brought in Mark Gibson of Nine Eight Three Media I said hey do you want to produce this. And, and basically the trade-off was you produce it uh, and we'll, it'll live on your channel and that's how we'll do it. And that's kind of where it went. We asked, uh, everybody we asked said yes. And that is unprecedented and that is immensely, uh, we're immensely gracious to everybody who took the time to do this because 
you know, it, it's such a, a double-edged sword where people are like, well, no, we want all the pros, but the pros are not content creators. Therefore, they won't have the proper equipment to give you a good show and record things properly. But you don't want content creators because then the 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 quality of the play, quote unquote, won't be a, that great. But there, here we are, you know, on the heels of what the finals are, which I'm not going to uh, spoil for anybody. But um, the the in the overall thing just kind of snowballed to once the first games were in the books and recorded and we're like okay we're starting to see the production aspect of it we really knew we had something special uh and and a lot of that is off the back of mark gibson who really uh really pulled out all the stops to quote mark when we approached him i said do you want to do this and this is kind of the idea we have what mark said was all right it's time to embarrass everybody else who try to produce some games and I, I mean that that is not meant as like a detriment to everybody else but he's he basically took it as an opportunity to sort of you know kick the door open to the saloon and say um uh, you know we make flesh and blood content and and i think it's been quite successful how goddamn handsome is mitch leslie he has just got he's got this young mickey rourke thing going that is just just oh. enchanting but that has a bad ending because I've seen old Mickey Rourke. Yeah. <laughs> That's doesn't, not get, like... doesn't get good until the wrestler again. Oh. Uh, yeah. All right. Two two things. Uh, shout out to 93 Media for putting that on. And I did. I wanted to shout out Talishar. Um, running back to the assassin stuff. It is already on Talishar. You can you can play and preview. It used to be such a pain in the ass to upload the cards on TTS and try to play test before before a release date but uh talishar has got assassin up and running except for the last two eradicate and cut the chase so get your play testing in all right the world championship is bringing people from all over the world and, and on the casting side it is the first ever combination of uh matt brian tannen brennan patrick and now eric doa lundquist what does it mean for you to have someone with the credentials and history in esports and casting that Eric brings uh, joining the team? Yeah, so I I try and play it very cool when it comes to Doa's involvement in this stuff, and I, I haven't actually had this conversation with him yet. But I I think I'm like 99% sure the first esports like I ever got into was Doa and Monty doing korean league of legends in like 2013 2014 i don't recall ever watching anything before that and not only was i into it like i watched every single game of the regular season of korean league of legends and that's when it was only doa and monty doing it for a while and they eventually brought in more people people like papa smithy came along and uh who else who else did the cast they just had so many great casters come through but it was always monty and doa as the anchors and like in some ways, I don't I don't know if there's like an ever a one to one where I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to do this. But in some ways, that's very much the genesis for me ending up doing coverage as well as watching those guys put on that show. So much of how like I present the game, the simultaneously respectful, but like also irreverent approach to the game is derived from watching those two work. And, you know, unquestionable basis of knowledge that you could never, ever doubt for a second but at the same time, willing to take you on that detour and understand that you are producing a product that's meant to entertain, that's meant to have a good time. And sometimes what's happening in front of you 
is not the most entertaining thing, but it's your job to make it seem like the most entertaining thing. And that's what I particularly loved about their coverage and took away from it is that uh, at the time, the pace of Korean Le- League of Legends was thought to be much slower than all the other regions. They played a lot of like, you know, two kill games where the rest of League of Legends had these bloodbaths. But the way they presented those games was was so entertaining that I didn't care about the action on the screen. I cared about the stories they were telling and how they brought it together. And so now I'm just kind of gushing, but it, it means the world to me to work with, though. I, I think he's been such an influence on me. And more than that, his passion for flesh and blood just shines through. The dude loves the game, loves the game. And that's like it's so inspiring to see someone who you respect love your work like it just means the world to me and i'm so stoked for this occasion at worlds Uh, i'm embarrassed to say my introduction to doa as it is with many other of the personalities and people and like again i was a sheltered soul i i wasn't really a paper card game person once i stopped with star wars ccg in high school i there was this long patch of time until i picked up a physical card and that was like 2018 when i picked up um uh, dominaria um you know, magic, and I got back into it, and I made some friends there. But I, and again, I, I just didn't know a lot of the esports personalities and such until I was essentially kind of put into a same room with them, like people like Brian Gottlieb, people like Craig Kremples, Tan and Grace. Sure, that's fine, but I, I never, I did not know, to my own ignorance, I guess, uh, who Eric Longquist was. I did not know who Mitch Leslie was. I did not know who these people were. And I remember this all came to a head when we're all playing Overwatch. And I, a good close friend of mine, um, you might see him lurking in some of the Discord channels. His name is House. He doesn't necessarily play cards, but he's always, he's been my uh, one of my best friends since high school. And he's one of the best Overwatch players I've ever I've ever played with. And I said, I'm like, hey, we, we got a, a five stack. We need one more. Do you want to join us? And he said, sure. And he jumps in and he sends me a message. And he's like, dude, that's that dude sounds exactly like Doa. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's Doa. He's like, what? I said, I'm like, and he's like, and that other dude sounds really like Uber. I said, yeah, that's Uber and Doa. Like, those are them, I guess. I don't know who else it could be. And he's like. Do you know who those people are? I said, I have, I no, I, I don't know who they are. I know that they're like casters or whatnot, but I did not know um, who these people were. And I felt like such a doofus because there I was amidst, you know, some of the legends. And then you kind of go back and having worked with Uber uh, for Goliath Gauntlet, you're immediately just aware of the talent that they have. And then watching doa work and looking at his work i just i we just recorded an episode of instant speed doa and i today and i just had to tell him i said dude like you know it's 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 it becomes this honor to work with these people that have essentially paved the way and paid their dues and have set the bar for what you want to be um a lot of my heroes in the broadcasting world are people like Vin Scully and Conan O'Brien and ultimately like some of these Canadian broadcasters. I know, Adam, you're going to know this, but you know who Jay Onright is and you know who Darren Detitian are. And those are are some of my influences, inspirations for for what I do. So working with people of that stature within this field is incredible. We, and we've already kind of broached on how this community is so great. And just to expand on the cult, the 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 real convergence of all of these, you talk about the personalities on the casting side. It feels like the same thing's happening on the player side as well. You have, I, I have no reference other than magic, casual tabletop, like commander magic. So like my biggest celebrity was like, you know, 
Josh Lee Kwai, uh, you know, for for so long, and then start playing Flesh and Blood, and you have like the Sunflower Samurai or Legends of Five Rings, like just elite players over there. You've got Netrunner people coming in. You got like the Hyperloops who are like big Star Wars coming in. Every everyone from all these different game systems all feels like deciding that like Flesh and Blood is is the place to be uh, right now, and it's very encouraging to. To see that, and and now the casting side, it feels like that's same same type of thing is happening with, with the Uber Shouts and the Doas, uh, coming in as well. There are now five of you at least that's uh, getting ready to cast worlds. That's quite the machine to run smoothly. Not to mention all the support staff around you keeping an event like this going. Not that we have to go into every little detail, but how does this all work? How do you find the time and practice to be a cohesive unit? How, who decides like the roles that each each one of the one of you is going to be playing in this and this huge production? And how does this avoid being the big mess that it could be, but so far it never has? <laughs> At least in, on camera, it looks like you're doing everything great. Brian, you want to tackle this one uh, diplomatically? I, I would love to, but I honestly, someone just puts a headset on my head and puts me in front of a camera and then I just say words. And that's that's all I know. And that's that's what my job is. And uh, honestly, like the real answer is that the people we work with are such professionals, be it, you know, not only my co-casters, obviously people like Flake and Tannen uh, and, and all the folks who are going to be at this event and all the folks we've worked with in the past, DM Armada, Red Zone Rogue, Craig Kremples, all these just really, really experienced, talented people who are at home in front of the camera. They make doing the job so easy. I, I when I came to Flesh and Blood, shifted over to the color commentary side. Previously, though, when I was doing magic commentary, I was a play-by-play caster. So I have the ability to work both sides of the coin. There's a lot of other folks who work both sides of the coin. We all have zero ego. Nobody nobody cares about making themselves look good. They care about making the broadcast look good. They're willing to do whatever is the best thing for the broadcast. And then it goes to the production teams we've worked with, you know, be it uh, Star City Games or Tournament Center or Channel Fireball, the three main ones I've worked with thus far. Uh, just like really talented crews who know what they're doing, who have put on these type of events before. And it is kind of a mess. That That's just what it is. That's what all these broadcasts are, where everything feels out of control. And the next thing you know, the headset's on and the camera's on and you're just saying the words and, and getting through it. And it always feels like it's teetering on disaster. But that's just kind of how these things work. It's how you live these things. And we're all sort of masters of controlled chaos at this point. And I am glad to hear it does not look like chaos when it actually comes across the screen. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's like what happens oftentimes if I were to kind of create a, a little imagery here, it's like we all show up, we're all buckets of paint that we all just spill on the table and then production just puts a frame around it and then puts a price tag on it and says, here you go, this is art. And people are like, yeah, it's art. It must be art. So that's kind of how it looks uh, ultimately. But in reality, there's, you know, Brian's kind of selling himself short here. Brian comes prepared. Uh, Brian is always incredibly prepared. He's also, he knows the the matchups. He or knows rumors. The, keep keep those rumors coming. Like I'm here for it. If you want to just make this narrative around me, that's fine. I just want to make sure that he gets my coffee right when I, when I show up because I am the big <laughs> shot there. Clearly, <laughs> so um, look th- to peel back the curtain a little bit. 
there is structure when we show up. There's a giant document. There's a run of show. There's everything is kind of almost put down to the minute. But obviously, you know that you've been to a tournament. Uh, Adam, you were at Canadian Nets. You know that <laughs> the eight-hour day was a 12- or 13-hour day, oh, right? That so you know that so these. Long. Yeah, so you know that adhering to a schedule is a pipe dream. But we show up when we were meant to show up. We show up ready to go. And part of it, unfortunately, is that things you have to adapt and perhaps you know one match is you know if if there's a a, a wizard match and armada's there it's like we're going to throw armada on that because he knows that class inside out if there's a katsu match i would love to do those uh briar you know and and, and tannin they he loves that that matchup etc so we we try to tailor it so we do have, you know, uh, a break and we're on one match and off another. But if there's somebody who's really into a particular matchup, we give them the runway for that because it just makes for a better experience. There's no egos that are there. It doesn't matter who opens the show or closes the show as long as whatever the broadcast team is, we are doing it the, to produce the best content for those who are watching. And I think we do a really good job. Um, U.S. Nationals was unique and everybody has their style the one the unique thing about us nationals is that it was the same pairings for every single matchup it was steven and i through and through it was tannin and brian and i like that but again that dubs robbed me the opportunity to work with brian the lesser degree tannin but that whole thing is is you know it's it's sort of a best fit scenario and everything goes haywire by the middle of the second day where somebody needs to be at one place to take pictures or another person needs to be at another place. Like, for instance, I get pulled out because I like to sometimes or they like for me to host the cosplay contest and, and stuff like that. So um, those kinds of things do throw a wrench in the system. But ultimately, at any given snapshot of where we are, we make we make the best of what we have. And I think that I think that we got a good team for that. I'll tell you what what works for our benefit more than anything is that we all just love what we do. Like, we, yeah. we all have such a good time being in the booth. Like, nobody's like, oh, I worked last round. I'm not working another round. Who cares? Like, I'm, I am I get to watch the game I love and, you know, see my friends compete. And it's just exciting to me. It's fun. So, uh, you know, I, it's very hard work, but I still just love every second of it. So it's very easy for me to be adaptable and just, like, do whatever's necessary for a broadcast to be good. And I think everyone brings the exact same attitude to the table. And is now the only person on the, on the casting team that we have not brought in. We're going to have to change that. So sorry, Tannen, if you are listening, uh, we did have Brendan Patrick on two weeks ago, and he has been diving headfirst on social media and looks to be strongly pursuing player backgrounds and has stated how interested he is in bringing the human aspect of these tournaments to the forefront. Uh, citing GP Richmond 2018, or, or sometimes known as GP Reed Duke, as the gold standard of event coverage in his eyes, with the focus on Reed throughout the tournament, complete with mic'd up moments and light commentary uh, on the side. How realistic is something like that in today's flesh and blood tournament environment? I think the thing about GP Reed Duke is it was a massive success. It went over so well. It maybe. I won't say my favorite magic event of all time to watch, but up there for sure. It was so unique, so different from everything else being done at the time. But it also could have went really wrong. Like Reed could have been playing an uninteractive, uninteresting deck. Uh, he could have absolutely bombed out of the tournament. He could have 
had a plethora of judge calls throughout the day. There's so many things that could have went sideways with that presentation. And I have nothing but respect for that production team for taking the gamble on it. Would I do it if I was in charge of a production? Absolutely not. I just think the risk is too high and you could really, really just train wreck your entire plan should things break the wrong way. But the focus on individuals is a absolute key to the TCG space, because let's be honest, our games are hard to follow. Every TCG, it, it's on the broadcast team to be able to present it. And even if you do the best job possible, there is still an element of the game that requires immense knowledge to be able to just watch it, pick it up and enjoy it. It's not something a casual observer can tune into, but a casual observer can care about a player if you if you let them, if you make them and they can start from there and then build that knowledge. And in fact, again, referencing back to League of Legends, I watched League of Legends before I ever played a game of it and frankly had no idea what was going on for quite a period of time. But the way the narratives were told were so compelling, so interesting that eventually I found my footing and the game grew on me from there. So I think the focus on players is 100% correct. It's so critical to building your circuit. I just wouldn't do it exactly in that hard directed way. But I understand why Brandon cites that because it did go over extremely well. I think there's a little bit of magic, a little bit of luck involved in that. But still, it, it's a good it's a good roadmark to check in on just saying, like, look how successful this was because of the human interest. I think that's exactly right. Is this was was is GP Reduke just a tournament where they just focused on one player the whole way through? Yeah, they covered they covered his matches every single round, and he was in contention to the last round. He lost his winning in for top eight. Then they shifted to top eight and covered from there. Um, oh, man, but that is a gamble. Huge gamble. Huge, huge gamble. And it, it worked so well because Reed is good on camera, first of all. And he's a compelling interview. And he chose a deck that was very interactive in the format, led to very good games throughout. But like I said, all of these things could have been different, and it could have just totally train wrecked. That's fascinating. I, I I like Brendan Patrick's initiative here, and this is something that I have always leaned into in every single game that I've ever broadcast. Um, you know, uh, my obviously my roots are with Gwent, and I've been there for four or five years and such. So I know those players from you know the the closed beta all the way through, and I've really tried to pump the tires on these players to get their personalities through. And some of them are good, but everyone else, unfortunately, is just they're not intriguing people, and not, you know, no detriment to them. They're very great people outside of the competitive scene but when they're playing they just want to focus on playing they don't want the added distraction but everyone's got a story and what's great about flesh and blood is we're starting to develop that we're in the infancy of the history of not just the game and the cards but also the players who are shaping the metas and, and developing the decks players and people like you know the, the Tark patels the matt rogers of the world the, um you know the the tyler horsepools and such and they're all fast trust me you need to you only need to talk to fino black for seven seconds to realize that there's a lot of personality and intriguing people um and unique people out there uh so when you're focusing on the players it's an extra element and us as broadcasters you know, uh, there's only so much of reading the cards and, and explaining the, the significance of, of lines of play before you want to dig into stuff like, hey, you know, like this was um, a play or this was th this is a rematch from the finals of U.S. Nats 2021 where Tarek beat Tyler. Maybe Tyler gets some, you know, you know, there's they have had like the head to heads, the story, the confidence, the the Swiss rounds and everything else. Uh, the players are such an important element to these tournaments. And I wish that there was more focus on them, but 
I think that this whole GP Reduke thing, this is the first time I ever hear of what GP Reduke is. So this is really fascinating. And, really? And I've never heard of this. Oh, to man. It was it foreign to it. me until we talked about it with Brendan, too. It's so it's so funny because it, it really is kind of like uh, it's one of those tournaments that is like, you know, it, it's it's I don't it's revered in magic magic circles uh, at four for particularly that it helps that Reed Duke is like one of the sweetest souls in although I don't know him personally, but he's just a just a sweetheart that that's his image uh, in public. But who would you follow? You know, like. That's my. And you thought. need somebody. Like, that, well, that's that's the tough part. And the uh, in my mind, there's like three people or four people who might have the charisma and the you know at least I don't want to say a sure thing, but somebody who's going to be in contention, like Brian said, because it you know in retrospect, if you're putting all your eggs in that basket and there and suddenly there's a hole in it, you know that is that that makes for an intriguing day one and a really terrible day two kind of thing, you know so. Um, like I think that Tarek Patel would be great because Tarek has the confidence, the 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 skill set, the charisma, uh, and the following to to maybe kind of grasp that. But it it might be something like, look, I would mic up Nick Butcher in a freaking heartbeat <laughs> if, if if there if if if, if you know twenty six percent of it wouldn't be bleeped out. But, you need the ten second delay on that one, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. So you mentioned Patel and Butcher, and I think the the way that I would approach this is is team wise, uh, low hanging fruit being Team Dragon Shield. But you could you could very easily tell the narrative of uh, Team Dragonfield if the Arsenal Pass guys were out doing this. Wolf Pack is such an intriguing story uh, as as they're growing in. I would I would focus on the teams. I know that I would you know in in my perfect utopian world where everyone's got all the tech and mics and all that and wants to do it, but focusing on the on the teams there's there's contenders it feels like in all of those sunflower samurai etc uh coming through but being able to kind of focus on on a team i might i might i we love team dragon shield we have we've had everyone but nick on but they get a lot of attention so maybe more towards like the wolf packy uh, sunflower samurai than than necessarily team dragon shield at the moment but you know so they're, they're all very interesting matt you uh quickly you mentioned uh Fino black there I think he's in France. I day one, I sat uh, right by him and Yuki um, while they were playing their match, uh, and uh, just overhearing him, he like he, he's so obviously like hilarious and wacky. And uh, shameless plug, we actually we we do have Fino coming on uh, the uh, on the on the show here in the next couple of weeks, and I'm so excited just to to kind of for, for people to get a chance to to see more of his personality. Like he's not only a great player but a uh, a quirky charismatic character and I, I it's so fun for the game on the topic of of personalities entering uh world championship entering worlds uh we have some obvious names uh you know Hamilton Pinter Patel Rogers uh who are some of the people that we might not know that we should be talking about as contenders to win the whole thing this weekend uh and what makes them someone we should be keeping our eye on for for me, uh, I think we are not paying enough attention to the folks in Poland. I, I just think oh, like yeah. they have such strong players there. And, uh, you know, I, I cheated on you guys. I, I went on the Arsenal Pass podcast this week and we talked a bit about our picks to win the event. Um, there are parents. It's OK. OK, good. Uh, so 
the the player I'm picking to win is, is Masayanik uh, from Poland. Oh, Top eight yeah. PT1 has just an incredible run of results. Also, I think is a huge Briar fan, which is not a bad place to be heading into this tournament. I think a deck that's maybe a little bit underrepresented. And I, I don't know if that's where he's fallen for this particular event. Uh, but I'm sure he's putting in the work, working hard with the rest of Team Poland. And I, I think you could honestly pick anyone from that team and say they haven't gotten the credit they deserve and are such huge threats to just take down the entire thing. But uh, I, I probably have spoken to Masai the most of anyone on that team. So that's who I chose. And I, I just think it's the moment where they get to break out and really prove that they are a dominant force. Not only they're recognized as a really powerful force, they are a dominant force in flesh and blood in my eyes. I'm going to echo that. Um, I actually spoke to Massier. I, I, I speak to him fairly regularly. And um, one of the biggest, uh, I remember because when we, I did uh, an episode a little while ago of, of instant speed where we talked about who is the best player in the world. And I did mention that Poland is a force to be reckoned with. It's said pound for pound, they are probably the most potent, you know, nation out there when it comes to uh, flesh and blood. I was in Warsaw. I played against a lot of these players. It's, it's, it's insane. And they are not just like, Oh, well, there's this one store and we go once a week. They go to about four or five armories a week, all of them consistently. And they are just very, very, good massier messaged me after that episode and said hey no no love for poland i said i told you i said i, I mentioned the entire country i can't pick one of you but if i were to like bartosz zemba is one of them uh massier yannick is another one but um you know brian picked poland so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pick poland i will say this you want to talk about off the board um it's too easy to say isaac Krut, although that's probably usually my insta lock is isaac mm -hmm. but Caleb Van Patten, aka Majin Bay. People, yes. People yep. do not understand. Just when you have it, you have it, and it's not just that he has it; it's that he has it. He practices, his, uh, practices. He he's passionate, and he doesn't take the easy route of saying, "Well, this is just the best hero. I'm just going to jam it, and and what happens happens." He jams games. He plays games. He um. He re-examines his own his own matches. There's a reason why he's in the finals of the Goliath Gauntlet, busting through some of the greatest players to ever play this game. Uh -huh. He's a, a a number one ranked player in other card games like Legends of Runeterra, but he's more so on the the content creation side, obviously. But he's out there just winning tournaments. One of the funniest stories I think I've ever heard was. Uh, was him at like a battle hardened or something else or like a, a calling where. In between matches, he was on his phone competing in like a seasonal Runeterra tournament uh, where like, you know, like with the top 32 oh. players in the world. And like he's all, like he's like, OK, uh, I, I have to between my turn, I got to get from this hall to the restaurant where we're we going so I can log into their Wi-Fi so I don't lose a whole turn. And he managed to like go eight and one in that tournament on his phone between like meals and water refills. He is just probably one of the most talented card players out there. And the fact that people don't give enough credit to content creators, he's going to go out there and he's going to absolutely dummy the field. And if he's not in the top eight, I would be surprised. Imagine Bay easily, uh, when we did our preview show for the Goliath Gauntlet, easily the most disrespected of all the players there, given his actual talent and credentials already in flesh and blood. He's qualified for both pro tours. I think he day two nationals. Uh, he just, he is a legit, I've had the 
the uh, displeasure, I guess, of uh, accidentally running into him on Talishar, and I have I have never been turtled like that uh, <laughs> on on there until I ran into him. So he is legit. <clears throat> um. In the road, getting ready for, for worlds, part of the challenge is exposing yourselves to major decks in the meta so you can talk intelligently about them. In your exposure to the meta coming in, help us figure out what we might be looking at. First question, is there a big bad here? Uh, and I'm using that term to mean a deck looking to take 30% or more of the meta share of classic instructed in worlds. No chance. No, no chance. I, I don't the think field's so either. Way too open, way too open. And not only that, but the field is evolving so rapidly that even if you wanted to make an argument, like there's there's probably three decks you would hold up as potentially the best deck in the field. And I, I think that's that's Fi, that is uh, Oldham, and that's Icelander. And I think if you said any one of those three, you could probably put together a good case for it. But the answer to which three changes on a week to week basis and you can also make a really strong argument that there's like two other decks right outside that tier and then probably three or four dark horses which are legitimate picks into the metagame if you're able to predict accurately so i there's no way a deck takes up 30 percent of the field and this is it continues to be the best metagame we've ever had in flesh and blood and nothing is changing heading into worlds i expect it to be exactly the same uh, like in terms of pie chart kind of stuff, is anybody going to take more than thirty percent? I'd argue that it'd be I'd be hard pressed to say anything takes more than twenty percent. Frankly, um, it, it'll have to be that everybody decides that their evaluation of a particular meta is the same. But that means that you're also you're kind of playing that game within a game of well, if everyone's on, thinks this, then I should play against it. But if everyone's against it, then I should probably go to this, which is like. I completely agree that in that triangular sort of structure, there's Phi, there's Icelander, and there's Oldham. I think that those are probably, in a vacuum, the best decks out there. Now, are are, are you going to tell me that Briar is not, doesn't have a chance? Are you going to tell me that Dromai doesn't have a chance? Are you going to tell me that... Um, you know, a, a viscerai or something along those lines doesn't have an outside chance at this. Um, I would be very hard pressed to see anything spike beyond 20%. But if there was, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what it is. And it would, in my opinion, in my evaluation, it would be just this random happenstance where all the teams have just selected that, you know what, like there's three options. We have to select one. This is what we're doing. And all the teams would, or a majority of them just land on it. I can see Phi being very popular. I know that people like, um, you know, Dave Rude has been very adamant and vocal that, you know, despite results, Oldham is still the best deck, but results are what, what pay the bills, right? Results are, are, are what pay the rent. So, uh, you know, at, at what point is the quote unquote best deck going to finally win these big tournaments and place well? And it's interesting because everybody uses the last major tournament as a litmus test and kind of like the last the last checkpoint where you can sort of fall back on to say, OK, this is the last thing we had. It's like, here's the last possible photo we have of this missing person. You know, let's go from there. The problem is, is that photo of that person is from you know, 20 years ago, and we, we don't know if they grew a beard or God knows what whatever what happened, right? So they changed their their appearance. So you're going in with, you know, a, that is a, a that is a dark comparison. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm flowery, if anything, but that's kind of what I'm trying to say is that you you're not bringing the best. You know, if you're relying on la on on um 
let's say battle hardened uh denver as your as your sort of snapshot you're not bringing the best deck to the tournament you're bringing the best deck last week and that always changes and brian made a very good point this is such an intriguing meta and i only need to point to something like the the mtga world championships where 68 or 69 percent of the field was the same deck and look that spermid brain and that's not to say that that hasn't happened or will not happen in flesh and blood uh brian but (laughs) but it it's possible but right now it is so healthy and to people enjoying it and consuming the tournament that's awesome to the people who have to make decisions and play in the tournaments that's terrible like that's a really tough spot to be in when you do not know which way the wind's blowing this is a great point even down to like the variants of the specific decks like there's a multiple versions of Fi, oldham and icelander that can sway their matchups into into that triangle is it is it in fact w- would we consider this a triangular meta with like a step down or is there are there other points to the closed polygon that i mean is briar a good enough to be considered part of that that top tier or is it solidly the three that we talked about right there it's it's 100 good enough and it, it is all about finding the correct build and knowing what you're playing against and i would actually say the same thing about Jeremiah, which i think is 100 good enough to be included in that mix in the hands of someone who knows the deck very well who is building towards the field and calls it accurately i Man, I could get a lot of heat for this. I would actually say the same thing about Dorinthia. Like, I think you can actually set up Dorinthia in such a way that if you know that triangle is there, you could be in a really, really good position going into this tournament. And the people who have mastered that deck and like basically it comes down to like, do you know your old matchup very well? Do you have a plan in that matchup? And I've talked to a lot of Dorinthia players who do. So there's all these decks that I, I'm not saying I expect Dorinthia to show up in the same numbers or even have the same type of conversion rates. I'm saying one player who knows this deck extremely well comes with solid plans because so much of Flesh and Blood is about game planning and understanding how you're going to take on each matchup. So the one player who knows this deck extremely well does the work puts together an incredible deck list and has great plans into the field can absolutely win this tournament, regardless of what their CC deck is. You heard it here first. Josh Lau is going to win one world. <laughs> and, and that, Lumina even, go actually, Lumina. that sure. even answers uh, a question I was, at, I was curious about too, because I remember like in, in going into Lil, there, there was a, a little more emphasis on like, people were saying play what you know going into that meta and now at this point we you know we kind of do have a triangle identified again is there any merit to playing what you know at this point but i think a takeaway there is like yeah if you have the game plan and like you know what you're doing in all those matchups for sure like that to to, you know matt's question can you know for sure why can't a viscerai or uh you know, Brian mentions a, a Dorinthia or something like that do well in this this event. 100%. Um, that does actually, that wrapped up one of my other questions real nicely. So we're going to just keep going down here. The much aligned Blitz format seems to have found a way to slow things down with the recent set of bannings. This format is what closes out Swiss and has a lot of people on edge. What are your feelings on the format and what you've seen so far? Well, now, I mean, 
to say that Blitz is maligned, I don't think that it's maligned in the sense that, like, if you play it and you like it, it's actually pretty fascinating. I did not like it all that much to begin with because I like longer games. As a control player, I don't want to get blown out early. Um, but when I did the team event in Vegas, it was myself, it was Doa, and it was uh, Rick from BCW, and we had a great time, and I learned Chain just for that, and I said, yeah, you know what? Like, I faced a whole bunch of different um, interesting heroes, and it was actually... There's a lot of brain power condensed into a small amount of time. So pound for pound, like you get some really nasty decisions to make in a hurry. It's not just like, well, I can let this go. I've got so much, you know, so much leeway and I can play within the margins. We're fine. It's it's literally every single turn is almost do or die to a degree. Now, can you get just completely blown up by a Kano or a, a perfect roll Reinar or something or a KO? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. But I don't think that players are going to be trying to high roll that late into a, a major tournament. I think that the bannings are fine and whatnot, but um, I, I, I think that this is where, uh, Brian, and you, you might know this uh, just to confirm, but like the, the blitz are the final five rounds, right? That is correct. Yeah. So let's get real here. If any of these players are kind of sleeping on on practicing blitz, they're in for a rude awakening because a lot of the major competitors don't even give a sniff to blitz because of all the major callings and battle hardens and such. A lot of them as pro tours, they're all CC and draft. So that's where all of their their headspace goes. And suddenly you, it's like, all right, you want to be the best in the world? Show us you're the best in the world in the the all of the formats that matter. And um, you know, I, I am so damn intrigued, not just for to see what people are bringing, but to see how it gets played out, because there are going to be matches that take, you know, it's one turn or two turns, but there might be some matches that take longer, four, five, six turns. And man, and like, I am, I am so on board with this. And I, it was a hard sell at first, just blitz in general, until I dug into it and realized that it's a lot more layered than people give it credit for. We've worked really hard to make Blitz a format that deserves to be at the World Championships, and I I think we have succeeded in that goal. Uh, you know, the idea that Blitz is not a format where great players succeed, it's just it's demonstrably false. Like, look at the top standings of every Blitz tournament that has ever happened. It's mono great players. There's no variance there. It's it's just incredibly great players winning these blitz tournaments time after time after time, uh, be it team tournaments or individual tournaments. And the whole narrative is so out of control that I'm actually going to fire off a hot take here. I don't think great players mind blitz one bit. I really don't. I think okay players mind blitz. I think they're the ones who are vocal about it and they say, oh, there's no edge to be gained and it's just variance. No, you're not good enough to find the edge straight up because there's Pablo Pintor out there winning a blitz tournament. There's three teams with devs from LSS in the top four of the team blitz tournament down in Australia. Like this is a skill testing format and it has only gotten more skill testing over the past few months as the format has slowed down a bit. I I am 100% convinced Blitz deserves to be at the World Championships. I think it's going to be great viewing. I think we're going to see good deck diversity. And I think we're going to see great games of Flesh and Blood. I do want to shout out the Fighters Guild, uh, which is run by Max Thomas, who's coming on to the pod at the end of the month. 
Uh, it's a weekly Blitz online tournament uh, that's that's held that's a full six rounds with a cut to a top eight every week. And it does feature some of the best players in the world. Uh, Alex Vor, Shamir Sami, Will Bradshaw, and more are regulars in that tournament each week. And last week, Azalea took it. Uh, and it is hard to take down one of those things. So uh, shout out. I actually do not have their name. Uh, I believe it's a, his, his Discord name is or their Discord name is like Sushi. Uh, uh, but I, I don't know who's behind that handle. But Azalea took down a Blitz tournament. So anything is possible. Um, we're going to move on to Uprising Draft, a super polarizing topic amongst competitors. Some love it. Some, thinks it's, uh, some think it's just garbage. Uh, Nick Butcher. Uh, it's been around for a while, though. Not as long as Tails was uh, at the time. But what do we what do we think of Uprising as a format? I like it. I think I I mean uh, uprising to me I, I get that there's fatigue about it and the one thing I I think that um I'm not a fan of and a lot of people are not a fan of is that you you get locked into a hero fairly early therefore drafting becomes less um there's a little bit less decision making power which when I when I used to draft um let's say magic and and Brian has played infinite amounts more magic than I have but I used to draft every every Saturday and I felt like there's always decisions to make even deep down to like the last few cards that come your way um I think that the, the a lot of the criticism with uprising is the fact that you know like if you don't if you you can pivot in the first four or five cards and otherwise there's not enough generics in it to really figure it out uh and and kind of have leave things open a lot of the times you're just pigeonholed into well i need reds for this and i need blues for icelander and blah 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 um that isn't to say that it isn't there isn't a, a lot of great games to be had that the, the games aren't intriguing and enticing i think that i got a lot more joy drafting any of the other sets uh you know i drafted the hell out of tales of aria i've drafted a bunch of welcome to wraith and those were a lot more um it, it kept me engaged in the in the in in what's going on a little bit longer but playing uprising draft i really liked i thought it i thought i thought it was great yeah i think i think uprising draft um is deservedly polarizing i th- i think there are aspects of uprising draft which are absolutely incredible and there's aspects that could be better Quite frankly, I, I think the, the draft experience is a little bit too on rails for me. I, I do think you're very locked in after your first few picks. And I think people miss the sort of expression and, and skill displays you could put on in a format that rewards staying open a little bit more. And I I kind of agree with Flake when it comes to, you know, comparing this to other draft sets. I would rather draft Tails. I would rather draft Welcome to Wraith. And you know, I I think so much of that, though, hinges on the draft experience. And granted, when we're talking about the draft format, that's a huge part of it. But what it ultimately comes down to is when you sit down to play the games of Uprising Draft, they're by and large very good. Does the die roll have too much determination on the Fimer? 100%. It would be silly to deny that. And certainly we've learned a lot from that. It's something we keep a closer eye on. And I, I think it's something that will work really hard to make sure doesn't happen in the future because it, it does have an impact on this format. But when you get into those good games and even five mirrors can occasionally certainly, you know, something has to sort of go wrong a little bit for the person playing second for it to really turn hard. 
But but there are opportunities for great games across all the matchup. Icelander versus Dromai, Dromai versus Fi, Icelander versus Fi. They can all be great. And then Icelander mirrors can be really interesting. Dromai mirrors can be really interesting. We've just seen it play out time after time on coverage. So I, I totally respect the opinion of people who are not the biggest fans of Uprising Draft. I think it really succeeds in some aspects, doesn't quite succeed in some other ones. Uh, but I am happy to give it its farewell at Worlds. I think it is a fine format to be at Worlds, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it one more time. Notice he didn't say five years. <laughs> yeah, five, five mirrors are very much, uh, you know, they're their own bag. Hey, Icelander mirrors are very intriguing, don't get me wrong, in constructed and in, in limited. I think that they're they're awesome. Same thing with Dromai mirrors. Um, five mirrors are uh, a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more. Okay, who who gets down to to five or four for health first? They go they go fast. They yeah, go they do. Oh my cards. Uh, while we've got uh, while we've got uh, a dev on uh, the show here, um, I know even some players with uprising draft and because I I've always found where we're flesh and I actually I've always struggled with magic draft. I I, I find personally I, I prefer flesh and blood draft. It's more straightforward for me. But I think for a lot of people in some ways it can be more punishing than than magic draft in the sense that like like in magic you 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 draft 45 cards but out of that you know you get the land station that can make up you know a good chunk of your deck so then your playables you don't you're not as dependent on every pick mattering where as flesh and blood like and now i one thing i really appreciated about uprising was that this concept that um you're gonna have playables in a token pool and that kind of helps patch some of you know, it helps compensate for for not having access to maybe a land station or you know something that's going to fill out your deck and make give you more playables. But I know some players have talked about uh, you know maybe adding you know fourteen cards in the pack. Maybe for uprising wasn't the right solution. Maybe we look at I think Tarek when we had him on, he or he said in some uh-huh, interview uh-huh. maybe it's something as much as eighteen card packs. Like it, it was right here on the combat chain. Like what? What uh, is that? Something on LSS's radar? Is that something you can talk about? Uh, I, I will say that pack size is something that is considered for sure. It's something we talk about. Something we consider. There are consequences to pack size that you would not expect. Is something else I will say, and I I have a feeling. I don't know this. I haven't, I haven't tried it, obviously. I have a feeling not only is it probably not possible from a printing standpoint to get 18 cards in a booster pack, I have a feeling the draft format would actually fail to work if there were 18 cards in a pack. And I, I know that sounds weird and like there's not that much of a difference, but I am telling you, having been through dev cycles where, you know, we test the difference between a pack size of one card different it makes a world it can literally warp the format and you really do want to have that tension where you know you do get punished i I think baubles should be a part of your consideration i don't think it's the worst thing if a bauble creeps into the average deck i think that is interesting and compelling and rewards you for you know not just taking the best card over and over so there's got to be a balance to it uh I think it's one of those things that the answer looks easier on paper than it actually is. Uh, totally fair, and that makes sense. What about um, exploring the realm of token playables more? Like 
Phoenix Flame was such a cool concept, and and I think the Helios Miter was uh, is a great fallback for lacking a, a headpiece. Is there is there? Are you guys looking at more of that? I'll say that I think that was a huge success in the uprising format, and and I'll also say that there is no part of our process that is content to rest on our laurels. We feel like we learn so much about flesh and blood every single day, each development cycle, and we're always looking for new ways to make the experience better. Not limited to just rehashing old ideas, but exploring new ideas and revisiting old ideas for sure when it makes sense to do so. Moving, you know, rounding the bases here, uh, at the end of Swiss uh, on, on Saturday, who's in the top eight? Ooh. Uh, I, you know, I, I already threw things towards my, my guys from Poland. I, I expect a big performance for them. I expect Flesh and Blood is a game that rewards mastery. And, you know, discounting someone like Michael Hamilton, like Pablo Pintor, like Tark Patel, uh, uh, they all could be in that top eight, quite frankly, because they are incredibly talented players. But there's so many talented Flesh and Blood players now. And I think players are getting better very, very rapidly. So while I'm 100% looking for these familiar faces, there's also a good chance that a new name just makes, you know, makes their claim to fame at this event, becomes the, the I won't say first world champion. The first world champion of this era is the way I like to phrase it, because this does feel like a new era for organized play with Flesh and Blood. It, it just seems like... So many people are waiting for their breakout performance. Uh, I, like I said, my pick to win it was Yannick from Poland. I ultimately would take the field, though. I, I think it's going to be someone we haven't even really considered in this conversation before. I would say, I mean, if you want eight eight names, uh, don't hold me to them. But it's hard to. I, I really kind of want this to be somebody who just comes out of the woodwork and says hey uh, i put the work in i don't i don't make videos i don't tweet i just put the work in and i and i i top aided like that would be incredible um daniel rutowski falls under that list by the way that's someone who i very much watch just had a stellar performance at nationals could very much be in that kind of conversation sorry to interrupt you no no that's that's that that's precisely the point is that you want to know a really embarrassing story is that on the day of us nats on the sunday the top eight i walk into the venue I'm on my way to go and receive my coffee from uh, Brian Gottlieb as per our contract that he's supposed to provide, provide me every day. Um, I walk past Brody. Brody's amidst maybe two or three other people. I'm I'm a big fan of Brody Spurlock. I'm I've I met him ages ago in Indianapolis. I met I played against his mother. I met the whole family. They're really awesome people. And Brody, I'm I'm unbiasedly his uh, or like or completely biasedly and and unapologetically a huge fan of Brody Spurlock. I walk past Brody. Brody's eating a ham sandwich in the morning like a good boy. I said Brody, good luck, buddy. I'm rooting for you. Go kick some ass and i give him a big hug and i say hey have a great day to the person next to him the person next to him was dan rutkowski (laughs) had no idea (laughs) i had no idea and i walk right by and i felt like a complete doofus king so i go sit down and at the end of it um you know i called a bunch of dan's games and dan had a great record and i talked him up throughout the entire broadcast and at the end of the day i remember i go home and i get a tweet from him or a message from him and he's like hey thanks for saying such kind things during the broadcast and this and that and whatever and i'm like my man i feel 
such an idiot because I just figured out at the end of it all that you, who you were. Um, he's that's that's what. But the whole point I'm saying with this story is that there are some players out there who don't care about the spotlight, who don't want notoriety, they don't want to be, they don't want followers or clout. They just want to go out there, play the game, and win. And there's going to be somebody out there who's going to do just that. That said. Uh, my top eight would have Michael Hamilton in it. It's going to have Tark Patel in it. It's going to have Isaac Crute in it. It's going to have uh, Masia Yannick in it. It's going to have Caleb Van Patten in it. It's going to have... I, my top eight is like 25 people Like <laughs> at the end of the day. like That's the tough part about it, is that there's so many freaking good players that prognosticating and, and throwing out predictions here is a fool's game, and I, I can't win. Because I know that, much like the Goliath Gauntlet, like we picked 16 players, and there were still like 20 others that were justifiably just as good, if not better, than some of the players that were in the tournament. I gotta, I gotta get a look in my email again for that invite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right, yes, yes or no, really quickly. There's a lot of talk about who, you know, who the best player in the world is, and and all that jazz. Is is winning the world championship enough to claim that title right now? Only if it's won by Pablo Pintor, Michael Hamilton, or Matt Rogers. So it's the only three who can take legitimate claims to that title right now. Uh, but would, if, if any of them wins, I, I think they have a very good case. That's a very good point. I was going to say, because there's, if, if let's say, you know, let, let's say, um, I don't know, somebody like, let's say Dan Rakowski wins. Is Dan Rakowski the best player in the world? I wouldn't say so. I'd say he'd be the best player at that tournament. But if somebody like Michael Hamilton wins, Pablo Pintor wins, Matt Rogers wins, if Tark Patel wins, yes, they are the best player in the world. Awesome. Excellent. All right. We did it. We did the flesh and blood stuff. All right. We have one last question uh, for each of you. Um, this is non sequitur, uh, but it is, uh, we'll start with Matt. For those who don't know you, what is something you want us to know about you? Something to know about me. Um, I am a endless well, uh, and Brian could attest to this as well, to a degree of nineties pop culture, music references, things like that. Uh, I have entered a pub trivia contest against teams of six and I won by myself, uh, <laughs> while on a date, <laughs> just casually, <laughs> you know, um, just for were they were they impressed they well the whole the whole part of it was that there we went to a pub for like to get some drinks and there there happened to have it and the person who was like emceeing it kept pressuring me and us two to do it and so i'm like give us a sheet yeah just to shut the dude up and as they were saying the stuff i was just writing down the answers like just hearing them and (laughs) and whatnot and i ended up winning which was hilarious because all throughout that entire trivia night the dude kept picking on me and i just was silent about it until they sort of like read the the name of like the team name or whatever i forgot what my team name was it was probably like something some simpsons reference like stupid lisa garbage face or like sex cauldron or something i forgot what it was but they're like who's team stupid lisa garbage face and i raise my hand they're like are you freaking kidding me so (laughs) i am a uh, i'm a trivia ringer when it comes to that stuff Brian, same question. For those who don't know you, what is something that you want them to know? 
I feel like most people probably want to know less about me. Honestly, I'm kind of <laughs> an open book. I don't really. I'm intrigued as 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 all hell uh, about I. <laughs> I had no idea who you were outside of uh, seeing you on a couple castings. It wasn't until DM Armada was just like, "Shut the hell up! He is, he is everything." So get to know him, and it's all I needed. I needed to know. So, well, as long as as long as Armada's going to keep telling lies about me, I'm sure I've seen pretty interesting. <laughs> but uh, mostly, what you see is what you get. I guess I will go uh, with an old standby. I am a uh, vegetarian and animal lover, and I, I always love to talk to people about those things. It's something that's very uh, important to me and special to me. So, if you want to, you know, chat vegetarian options when we're out in San Jose, you just let me know. I'm happy to talk about it. Flesh and Blood community, surprisingly healthy for a trading card game. There's a lot of a lot of handsome folks and and Oh, I didn't I didn't say I was healthy. Hold on, hold on one second. <laughs> all, all I said nice. was that I do not yeah. eat meat. Like you can you could still eat pizza as a vegetarian. Oreo, and granted, there is a part of me Oreos. that wants to be vegan. Yeah, Oreos are vegan. Okay. So right. yeah. Dude, as soon as the camera hits to the game, like as soon as it cuts from us to the game, he's just lighting up like four cigarettes, like eating yeah. easily. Ch- chain smoking, <laughs> eating yeah. pizza, yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good time to me, I'm not gonna lie. Alright. That is going to do it for uh for for us here. Thank you guys for coming on. This has been uh great. And uh, before we run out of time here with Matt, uh, plug plug your stuff. Where can we All find right. you? What do you got going on? All right. Well, I am on Twitter at WatchFlake. Um, I r- randomly, occasionally stream twitch.tv slash WatchFlake. Uh, and videos and such that I do, including the Instant Speed podcast, uh, is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, uh, Space, uh, all, all across. It's being broadcast through Space and Time. But it's uh, on 983 Media. Uh, you can catch that at youtube.com slash 983media. And the other thing I want to say is that uh, people don't say I love you enough, and I love you guys. So th- thanks for having me on. Love you too. Thanks for coming. We All right. Uh, Brian, where can we find you? What do you got? Uh, well, I mostly work on this card game. You may have heard of it, Flesh and Blood. So you kind of are finding my stuff just by playing the game. So keep doing that. If you are interested... In Magic the Gathering, you could listen to my podcast, the Reading Deckless podcast, which I co-host with my friend Jerry Thompson. I will warn you, I am mostly pretty negative about Magic these days. I am not a huge fan of some of the business decisions and the way they are uh, running their game. But if you're looking for a kindred spirit in bashing one thousand dollar booster packs, I'm there with you. I'm willing to do that. And uh, you know, we thousand we dollar booster keep pack up, for uh, non-official what, cards, for fake cards. Oh yeah, well yeah, we'll talk about that. But we do keep up on the metagame. And you know, look, I I do have some issues with the way Magic is being run now, but it's such a fundamentally important part of my life. Mm-hmm. And you all mentioned the ability of TCGs to change lives. One of the reasons James went down this path is because he did have those experiences with Magic that changed his life the same way I did, traveling the world, meeting people from all over the place. And what we're seeing happen with Flesh and Blood is very much an homage to what Magic did decades ago for me, for James, for so many other people. Uh, So I, I still have nothing but the utmost respect for the game, even if I don't particularly love the spot it's in right now and I, I still love to check in on it still like to hang out with my friend so uh you know some folks still enjoy hearing that other folks 
Yeah, maybe it's not for them anymore. It's certainly not what it was when we were both very active, competitive players. But I still think there's some enjoyment to be had. So feel free to join me over there at Brian Go on Twitter, B-R-Y-N-G-O. That's about it. And now for us, Adam, you're going to be at Worlds. Tell us about what people can do to, to when they run into you. Uh, we're going to keep it super simple. Come up and, uh, I, you know, for, for Lil, we tried to have fun with it and I'll uh, come ask for a, a promo in French. And, uh, <laughs> actually the people who did come up, they asked in French kudos to them. Uh, no, we'll keep it super simple. Um, come up, say hi, shake my hand. It's super nice to meet you guys. Um, yeah, I, I've got uh, Herald of Rebirth promos with me. Um, all right um we can uh and now it is time to do the regular plugs the combat chain is on youtube you can find us if you search the combat chain be sure to like subscribe and click the bell notification to know when the latest episode is being uploaded uh we are available on all audio platforms wherever you stream your podcasts uh be sure to review our podcast on itunes and google to leave, uh, leave a comment as that helps the pod tremendously when you do so the best way to support us is of course through our patreon you can find us at www.patreon.com backslash the combat chain and can subscribe to us there uh it is it is a single tier at the moment and it helps us tremendously to keep the lights and mics up and running uh and we want to shout out our patrons it says it's a feature this is probably the first time we're doing it but i had a chance to write it down so clark j eugene c devin Tyqueus and Arcfire, thank you so much for your support. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, of course. Uh, the channel's handle is at the Combat Chain. You can find me at Pat Smashgood, and you can find Adam at Fomtulary TCG. Now, gentlemen, we have one more small piece of business here. It is the outro. We ask all our guests to participate with us, and how this goes is I'm going to say until next week, and we're all going to say in unison. We're closing the combat chain, and it's going to be nice. It's going to be harmonic in unison, and it's it's going to be perfect. Says something we can we can do. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Thank you again to Matt Flake, Demarco, and Brian Gottlieb uh, for coming on to the combat chain. Good luck to everybody that is not me in San Jose at Worlds, whether you are casting or playing. Uh, it has been a pleasure. And with that. Until next week, we nailed it. You nailed it. My timing was a little bit off. That's all right. That's all right. There's that's no the such charm. That's the beauty of there. <laughs> One of these days, we're going <laughs> to montage it. But that's it. We did it. We did it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure, as always. Thank you.